maybe like he doesn't want to move to Washington DC and get tied up in trying to save, you know, a media asset from hemorrhaging $100 million a year. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, November 3rd. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Byers to talk about Jeff Bezos zeroing in on a new CEO for The Washington Post. Who is he exactly? And if this new CEO is the one, what does it signal about the future of The Post, both on the editorial and the business side of the newsroom? Dylan also explains the backstory behind the big news involving Hulu this week, Disney buying out Comcast and NBC Universal's stake in the streamer. And later, Bill Cohan and Ben debate why Hollywood dealmaker Ari Emanuel really wants to take Endeavor private again, and whether Wall Street was right about him all along. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for Powers That Be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life welcome to the powers that be i'm joined today by dylan byers for a little media friday it's a moving target whenever we have dylan on it's a media whatever day it is <laughs> dylan how you doing buddy i'm doing great man Dylan, I want to ask about your new reporting on the Washington Post and their search for a new CEO. But Sarah Fisher, our friend at Axios, uh, tweeted on Wednesday uh, the news that Disney is planning to purchase the remaining stake in Hulu from Comcast, NBC, Universal. This has been an unusual marriage for a very long time, but Hulu has been around for a very long time. Dylan, read between the lines on this press release that we got from from Disney about Hulu. What, what What's going on here? Was this always going to happen? 
Yeah, this was expected for a long time, and um, God bless uh, Sarah Fisher. She's a friend of Puck, but um, the the sort of double siren emoji on this one was perhaps not warranted. Disney and Comcast are effectively beginning here the negotiations over how much Disney will spend to acquire its remaining stake in Hulu, which is something we've sort of been anticipating for a long time that this was going to happen. And this was not so much the announcement of a done deal, but rather Mm -hmm. the sort of opening salvo from Disney saying, okay, like the trigger's off. We are, we are now allowed to start negotiations and we are starting at, but the lowest possible price that we can get away with paying (laughs) because we like most media companies these days are saddled with debt and do not want to pay more than a penny than we have to. Here's what will happen. As our dear colleague Bill Cohen has astutely observed, the lawyers for Disney will get together with the lawyers for Comcast, and they will effectively come up with two different prices. And if those prices are within a sort of 10% ballpark of one another, then they'll hit the average. And if they're not, then they'll bring in uh, you know, a third banker who will effectively figure out what the price is here. Mm. This is sort of the the situation here is that in essence and I'm you know this is something that I think both Bill and and our colleague Matt are are sort of even more qualified to speak on but this is one of these things where Disney has sort of been forced to make an acquisition and basically go forward with a strategy where it invests in Hulu as a means of sort of building up its streaming portfolio, allowing it to charge more for its access to its streaming suite, uh, ideally expanding the total uh, subscriber number. But for a company that, again, is already saddled with a certain amount of debt, it is not Mm -hmm. ideal to have to come up with another Right now, they're calling it 8.6. Let's say maybe it gets to like 10. Not ideal to have to come up with that money, particularly if you have an asset like ESPN that you've decided Mm -hmm. you do not want to spin off or offload, but you actually want to keep in the portfolio. Mm. And I'm sure Bob Iger will find that money somewhere, but in the process, he's likely to drive himself a little deeper into the red. Sure sounds like it. Thanks for explaining that, Dylan. I do want to pivot, though, and focus on some of your new reporting from Jeff Bezos's search for a new CEO of The Washington Post. We've talked about this on several recent podcasts, but it you know, involves uh, a lot of interesting players, uh, and it's an important media story as well. You were one of the first people to report that in the wake of former CEO Fred Ryan being ousted, uh, one of the finalists, one of the names in the mix, was a guy named Josh Steiner former banker currently at Bloomberg LP sort of fit the profile of, you know, what the need is here, basically a go between with business experience between the paper itself and Bezos. How do you how do you get this place to make money? <laughs> you are also the first to report on Wednesday that Steiner has now taken his name out of the search, which leaves theoretically former Dow Jones CEO Will Lewis in position to get this job is this is this a done deal? Why did Steiner pull out, or is Bezos going to keep searching around for more people? Will Lewis is by no means a done deal, although it'd certainly be the sort of most likely outcome here, right? So ostensibly, mm-hmm. if you have two finalists and one of them self-defenestrates, as it were, uh, mm-hmm. you would go with the guy you're left with. But of course, that all depends on two things: one, how Jeff Bezos feels about 
Will Lewis following his interview, and then two, how Will Lewis feels about the job. Look, when people, quote unquote, pull out of a race for a job, sometimes that means that they actually just really didn't want the job or they decided it it wasn't the right fit. Oftentimes, it means that someone basically gave them reason to believe that Mm -hmm. for the sake of saving face, they should pull out. And, you know, that's between Steiner and his God what happened there. I think that the best available evidence suggests that maybe Steiner, a guy who has sort of like uh, risen to the top of the Michael Bloomberg financial and media empire and who has sort of come to enjoy all the perks that is conferred upon that and the sort of global Rolodex of business connections and, you know, his investment uh, activity that maybe like he doesn't want to move to Washington D.C. and get tied up in trying to save you know a media asset from hemorrhaging a hundred million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So that might be what happened here. It might also be that despite all of those bona fides, he is not a guy with a great deal of publishing experience. And maybe mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos came to the conclusion during the course of their conversations that he needed someone with more publishing experience. And presumably that would be a Will Lewis who, in addition to having been a journalist in his earlier life, then went on to work in the Murdoch media empire and served as uh, the editor-in-chief of The Telegraph, uh, which he is now actually trying to buy. And then in his most recent iteration was CEO of Dow Jones and publisher of The Wall Street Journal. But there is always a sort of third option here, which is that the... Bezos and and his interim CEO and the executive search firm they've hired are, I would imagine, have sort of prepared for a moment like this at which neither candidate works out. And they are keeping a few candidates who they've already spoken to on the back burner. And so it is possible here that a dark horse could emerge. But I think at the moment, the, the, the safe bet if you're in Vegas is that this does fall to Will Lewis. Interesting. And so if you work in the newsroom, at the post, obviously, you know, Fred Ryan's background back in the day was like Reagan administration. And like, there was no real indication that he was like flexing any political influence over, over the post and its coverage. But Lewis did work for News Corp. I'm not saying like his politics are openly conservative, but if you're in the newsroom, does this really have any bearing on the day to day? Or are you, are you welcoming this actually? Like this guy does have a lot of publishing experience. We do want to be globally competitive. We do want to reverse losing $100 million a year. We really don't want to be losing, <laughs> you know, 15 to 20% of our subs year over year. You know, if you were like Josh Dossie and you're in the Washington Post newsroom, other than calling your your new boss, Sir William Lewis, like what do you, <laughs> what, what are your concerns? Yeah, your what are your highness. thoughts? <laughs> yeah, well, look, Here's what I would say. I say this from my experience reporting on media organizations and my experience being a reporter in media organizations. One is that oftentimes no one matters to the rank and file in the newsroom more than the executive editor or the editor in chief. I think a lot of people who worked at the Washington Post from the day Bezos bought it until uh, the 2021 inauguration were probably went into work most days inspired to be working at Marty Barron's newspaper. Mm-hmm. That said, nothing provides a greater indication of where a media organization is headed, what its ambitions are, what the priorities of the ownership are, mm-hmm. than the chief executive. And 
I don't think it's any secret to my readers or to listeners of this podcast that I'm sort of like uniquely obsessed with questions of CEO comings and goings. And part of the reason for that is because it is so important. One thing I mentioned in my piece on Wednesday is if you go back a decade, there was a moment when like Phil Kent, then the head of Turner, was very close to giving the CNN CEO title not to Jeff Zucker, but to Mark Shapiro, whose most, you know, Mm -hmm. at that point, his most recent job had been CEO of Dick Clark Productions. So if you think about, like, how much the sort of, like, Zucker-Trump dynamic was a defining feature of media over the last decade, you begin to get an idea of sort of how crucial it is um, who's in charge by the same token. Like, look what happened to Disney when it was Chapek instead of Iger. What what would have happened if, like, let's say Bezos had been able, had never talked to Fred Ryan about the job and had lured away Meredith from the New York Times, and we were and, and the Post was like outperforming the time. Like, who knows what might have happened here? Mm-hmm. And so, I think that if you are somebody, if you are a journalist who is at least savvy enough about the business to think beyond your own byline and beyond your your you know your your own like insular cubicle and you're thinking about like the broad ambitions of the paper it should matter very deeply to you who the ceo is and i would encourage people to post by the way if will lewis does become the ceo is like please go beyond just the like murdoch lieutenant headline right i'm sure there are a lot of left of center posties who are going to sort of grumble and have reservations about the fact that they are getting someone from the world of murdoch what i would say is that Dow Jones is like the least political of the Murdoch assets. And also the most important thing uh, is not Will Lewis's politics. I'm not entirely sure what those are, but rather the sort of the digital growth and the digital transformation of the Wall Street Journal under his tenure. Those are the sort of indicators I would be looking at. And then the final thing I would just throw out here is like in making this selection, I think Jeff Bezos is thinking about more than just how the rank and file is going. He, He wants a diligent financial manager who is not going to be irresponsible with the balance sheet. He wants someone who can sort of in the long term, once you return the paper to profitability, think about these bigger questions of of digital growth and subscription growth. And then finally, I also think he wants like a serious adult who can sort of manage the relationship between Bezos and the paper, Bezos and an and, and executive editor, and sort of just take care of this asset for him so he doesn't have to like fly to Washington and sort of clean up the mess uh, just because like, you know, Trump's not in office. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dylan, thank you so much for your explainers on all this as usual. Uh, No pressure, but I assume you'll break the news uh, when this becomes official. No pressure, no pressure. (laughs) Thanks so much, buddy. I will do my best, Peter. Thank (laughs) you. When we come back, Bill Cohan is here to talk about Ari Emanuel. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy, here with Bill Cohan. Hey, Bill. Ben, great to see you. Nice to see you, too. Bill, I wanted to have you on as a former Wall Street banker to help make sense of this news last week, that Endeavor, which is the big Hollywood entertainment and talent agency company, is reviewing, quote, strategic alternatives to being a public company, which is the term of art for going private again 
Obviously, Ari Emanuel, the CEO, has been complaining for years, ever since the IPO, that they had this incredible flywheel effect that was connecting the talent agency and the sports betting group and all these other companies they have, uh, ultimate fighting, wrestling, art fairs, professional bull riding. He's been complaining that Wall Street investors didn't really get this company. They weren't valuing it properly. So what changed here that he's considering going private again? Did he just get tired of waiting for people to sort of wake up and get it? Yeah, Ben, maybe I'm a little uh, old and crotchety or whatever, but um, to me, this is a you know very cynical ploy on Ari's part. Uh, uh, you'll recall that uh, he tried very hard to take this uh, ridiculous hodgepodge of a company public uh, back uh, during the pandemic. It didn't happen at the last minute, didn't get the valuation he wanted tried again, I believe, the next year in 2021, uh, managed to squeak it through the IPO window the second time. So ka-ching, payday for Ari and Patrick Whitesell. The stock traded up for a little while and then, of course, drifted down over time uh, because, of course, it's a hodgepodge of ridiculous companies that should not be public uh, in the first place. But He's Ari Emanuel, so of course, his whole philosophy of life is that uh, you know he can will something into existence just by the force of his personality. So eventually, of course, uh, the market, uh, you know, and he claimed it was a endeavor was a reopening play on the uh, uh, the markets, uh, you know, post pandemic. Total bullshit, if if I may use that phrase. Uh, but you know, of course. It works, you know, the IPO market's a funny thing. Uh, things get really hyped up thanks to, you know, investment banks, uh, you know, pushing it through with their institutional investors and dumping things on their retail investors. So uh, it got done, uh, I didn't like the way it traded. Of course, you know, it's what, majority owned by Silver Lake, the big private equity behemoth. So, you know, it doesn't probably, it doesn't really have enough float anyway. Then uh, he decides, oh, well, uh, uh, got to do a little other financial engineering. Uh, why not uh, merge uh, Ultimate Fighting Machine or whatever the hell it's called with, um, you know, W Worldwide Wrestling and we'll create, you know, another publicly traded company that uh, Endeavor will owe 51% of. So, uh, that all gets announced and it gets hyped up to be like a $22 billion deal or whatever. Uh, hype, 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 hype. You know, what do you expect, frankly? And that deal uh, ends up closing uh, in September, uh, about mid-September. And uh, the stock of that company, which Endeavor owns like 51% of, trades down 20%. So his own stock is trading down a lot and sort of if you sort of parse it out between what's his stake in uh, the combined uh, ultimate fighting machine and uh, worldwide wrestling uh, that his non uh, fighting slash wrestling businesses are worth about a billion dollars which uh, doesn't appeal to Ari especially in the wake of the Pinot investment in uh, his rival CAA, which valued you know, which valued that company at like seven billion. So Ari is right. thinking his 
His uh, agency business is woefully undervalued. His hodgepodge of other crap is, of course, not getting valued at all, which sounds about right to me. And his wrestling slash fighting machine uh, is, you know, down 20%. So guess what? Time for another payday, uh, Ben. That's announced that we're exploring alternatives, which is, of course, Wall Street uh, Argo for, uh, you know, putting the company up for sale. Fine putting the company up for sale. The stock trades up 25% in one day. And an hour later, after he makes that announcement, comes the news that Silver Lake, his largest uh, uh, investor, his biggest shareholder, is thinking about taking the whole thing private. Wow, what a series of coincidences, Ben. This is just a fantastic <laughs> series of events. Who could have ever have predicted such a marvelous outcome for Ari Emanuel? Could this have been written in Hollywood? Was this a Hollywood script that Ari is, is uh, a following? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Ben. It's the way I feel. Well, I'll give a, a full disclosure for you, Bill. You have always been a cynic about this company for years and years. And rightly so, I might add. You, you've never bought into this idea that, that Ari Emanuel has some secret magical alchemy that's going to create this flywheel effect that increases the value of all these businesses. But I, I kind of get why he's insulted and feels sort of misunderstood by the street. I mean, you, you ran through some of those numbers. You know, the, the UFC WWE spinoff company worth around $14 billion. Endeavor owns half of that. And they were valued at around $8 billion before that stock pop you mentioned. So yeah, a billion dollars for the, the talent agency and everything else. When CAA, which, which is only like, I think has twice as many employees, something like that, as WME sold in this private transaction at a, at a $7 billion valuation. I mean, there is some kind of disconnect there. Maybe it's just that the, the private markets are a lot more forgiving and, and CAA is sort of a vanity asset for uh, Mr. Pinot. But you can sort of see why Ari felt like there was a, a disconnect there and, and it wasn't being valued properly, no? Oh, I could see uh, why Ari Emanuel, Mr. Ego, probably is you know insulted that his hodgepodge of uh, non-fighting businesses uh, you know, are only worth a billion dollars when CAA uh, is worth seven billion. Maybe uh, CAA has uh, better uh, numbers. Maybe CAA is better than WME. You know, I don't know. Maybe Ari isn't as wonderful as he wants everybody to think he is. Maybe the markets are actually doing a service here and doing the right thing and valuing these two companies properly. Well, what, tell me about the, uh, the the benefit of going private. Who, who are the biggest winners there besides creating this second uh, liquidity opportunity for Ari and Patrick Whitesell? Well, uh, we'll see where, A, if this even happens, right? I mean, I, I, you know, if Silver Lake doesn't buy what it doesn't own of, of Endeavor, you know, I don't know who else would, to be honest. But let's say that, you know, Silver Lake does buy it, and let's say that they somehow manage to come up with a valuation that's above the IPO price. I think it's, you know, after going up 25%, it probably is trading above the IPO price now. Uh, so who benefits in that situation? Well, uh, you know, I don't know if I were Silver Lake, I certainly wouldn't let Ari and Patrick sell very much of their stock. But if but if they wanted to sell some, I suppose we could, uh, you know, allow them to do that because after all, they're, you know, the com their combined uh, net worth about being around a billion dollars probably isn't enough of a statement for these two egomaniacs to impress their friends. Uh, so they can sell some of that stock. 
So they'll be, they'll of course benefit. They'll probably get new contracts to stay in place of the private company and with more stock options or restricted stock or something to quote unquote make it worth their while. So because they're not rich enough already. So definitely Ari and Patrick are going to benefit. The employees who took stock in the company uh, rather than uh, deferred their bonuses or in place of their bonuses for a number of years, which did happen. You know, I don't know how they're feeling right now about this or, or the IPO or about this potential going private transaction. I don't know if they've ever even had a liquidity event yet. Uh, so that's another constituency. Um, and the institutional investors are probably long ago out of this after the initial pop. The retail investors, uh, depending on where this valuation from Silver Lake comes out, might get a little, a little bit of a benefit from owning this crap that they've owned for you know a few years now. I suspect that after this um, 25% bump in price uh, on the day that uh, this whole scheme was announced that Silver Lake will say, well, that's enough of a, a premium to where it was trading. So we're going to take it private for basically where it's trading at in the market now. So of course, the big winners are Ari and Patrick, who will probably get to sell some of their stock at a premium and also get new stock options and new restricted stock or some sort of stock benefit, plus new long-term contracts. So this is all about Ari, you know, enriching himself, if you ask me. Possibly a win down the line for Silver Lake, too. I mean, they've got to be looking at what happened for TPG, which had its stake in CAA for a long time and then finally sold that to um, yes. the caring family office for, for this huge amount of money. And yes, I think that's probably got to be the bet that Silver Lake is making because it's basically been dead money since it went public. And presumably, uh, Egon Durbin, the, the chairman at Silver Lake, he believes in Ari. Even if uh, even if Bill Cohen doesn't believe in Ari and Wall Street doesn't believe in Ari, these guys have known each other for a long time and they've made a lot of money with each other and off each other. Maybe there is a non-cynical bet there for these guys too, that there is something that they see happening in the future with this company that Wall Street doesn't get. And uh, if they can just sort of take it private and avoid that public scrutiny for a little while, they can uh, give Ari and Patrick the space they need to, to pull off whatever this magic trick is going to be. And uh, we'll see if you and I are proven wrong. Yes, that is the, the uh, other side of the coin, the non-cynical interpretation of what's going on here. And they certainly are entitled to feel that way. And I'm sure they love each other and believe in each other and <laughs> such a beautiful thing, a match made in California, Southern and Northern California. I'm sure that's exactly what, what they are thinking uh, and that Ari is a unique talent and he certainly is unique. There's no doubt about it, but we'll see. I mean, I thought the whole point here, Ben, was, uh, you know, to take this thing public and to really prove out its value and to show the world what an incredible entrepreneur Ari Emanuel is. Well, I guess that, you know, two years later, he's, uh, you know, decided to move on from that, uh, that strategy and that plan. All right, Bill, well, we'll have you back on the pod in uh, five years to assess how this Hollywood ending actually works out. But for now, thanks as always. Appreciate your insight and uh, your never-ending cynicism. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. That's, you know, that's one of my jobs here. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. 
Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you on Monday. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.